Hey, welcome to the Week in Bite presented by the Wall Street Breakfast. I'm Daniel Snyder, and thanks for tuning in this week. Let's jump into some of the biggest news items before we get to our headliner joining us today. First up, it's been a huge week for earnings, which has amplified the market volatility. Here to tell us more is Kim Kahn, Managing Editor at Seeking Alpha to break it down. Hey, Dan. Yeah, as you said, it's been a huge week for earnings, a lot of big name companies, a lot of big moves. And I think we've just got to zero in on that plunge from Meta after um, its you know quarter disappointed on a number of fronts. I think, you know, it's down a 25 percent, you know, a quarter of the value of a mega cap stock is, is unprecedented. It's shedding about maybe 240 billion uh dollars in one day of, of market cap. That's the same as it showing a company the size of Netflix. And it's having a, a contagion effect around uh, different different other social media companies, kind of having a risk-off move overall in, in tech. Um, but we also have to look, you know, at the other you know, big companies reporting and so like Alphabet, which uh, did really well, uh, great ad revenue numbers and, you know, a strong ad business. And it's, you know, was rewarded by the street. So I think we're looking now at kind of where the stock market is looking at these high valuation stocks more on, a, you know, on a valuation um, assessment. They're looking for execution, not just growth. And, you know, it'll be like more of a stock picker's market for these for these companies going forward. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, the Facebook contagion thing is obviously, sorry, meta contagion is definitely being felt in the market lately. It'll be interesting to see, though, what happens in the coming weeks, because they, they only announced that, you know, revenue is pulling back a little bit. Obviously, there's the Apple privacy thing going on and, and, and who knows what's going to happen with that. But they already warned to the industry that they're going to be investing heavily into this metaverse thing. And I think it just kind of you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just how long will this take to see a good return on the investment, right? Yeah, exactly. I think you've got to give it a few trading days to see what the market's full reaction really is. I mean, these moves get exacerbated by algorithmic trading. You know, people pile in uh, or in this case, pile out of the stock. And, you know, I mean, Wall Street had, you know, mostly buy ratings on this stock going into the earnings. If you know, if you loved it, at that, you know, that price, you know, you love it even more, you know, 25% off probably. And, um, you know, you know, there's also opportunities for activist investors to come in take a position at much lower prices, much lower entry point, like uh, Bill Ackman did with Netflix. I mean, unless people really think that this is kind of an inflection point where, you know, Facebook is kind of over and it's being dwarfed by TikTok and this, you know, the, the tectonic uh, plates are shifting, then, you know, it's, you know, it's going to get some more chances and it's going to, you know, and, and as you said, they did give us a fair warning that they'd be doing more investment for their metaverse product. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It'll be interesting to see if Zuckerberg or any activist investor, like you mentioned, comes in and uh, starts buying up stock, exactly like um, the co-CEO of Netflix did as well. I mean, so we'll see what happens, but thanks for bringing us that, Kim. Why don't you stick around for us? We'll get back to you here in a little bit at the end of this show. All right. Will do. All right. Thanks. Next, many are still trying to size up the Fed's monetary policy for 2022 as the market heads into February. What we know so far is that the central bank, central bank will begin hiking rates in March, assuming that the conditions are appropriate for doing so. But it's anyone's guess how aggressive the FOMC will be after that. There's also debate over when the Fed will start reducing its balance sheet, though it made clear at its last meeting that pandemic-era bond buying will come to an end next month. Interest rate estimates on Wall Street now range from three rate increases this year all the way to seven, with the federal funds rate projected 
uh, to end the year in a range of one and a quarter to 2%. At this moment, the breakdown is the following. Barclays is expecting three hikes. Morgan Stanley expects four. Goldman Sachs is at five. BNP holds six. And Bank of America at the top end with seven hikes expected this year. All right, now switching gears to the supply chain. Many investors have been keeping an eye on China's manufacturing numbers in recent months as an important gauge of what to expect along the global supply chain. A weaker figure can suggest that problems will continue to persist while a stronger number may signal the opposite. On top of the recent headlines, a severe zero COVID policy is still being implemented in the country. The private Cakeson Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index, which focuses on smaller export firms, contracted for the second time in three months in January, falling to 49.1 from 50.9 and close to its lowest point since the start of the pandemic. A separate PMI figure from the official National Bureau of Statistics was slightly less troubling, but still fell to 50.1 in January from 50.3 a month earlier. That's just above the 50-point threshold that indicates an expansion rather than a contraction. And that's definitely something investors want to continue to watch to see when we might get a relief on supply chain issues and in tandem, inflation. I'd like to go ahead and bring in Jay Mintz Meyer from Value Investors Edge, a Seeking Alpha Marketplace service here to discuss to continue this discussion of the supply chain issues. Now, Jay, in addition to the news we just went through, we're hearing different reports from different companies saying the supply chain is getting better, while others are still saying we're not out of the weeds yet. So can you tell us what you're seeing from the data you watch in regards to what's going on? Yeah, thanks, Daniel. And I was listening earlier, you hit a lot of the great high notes about what's going on in the macro environment. So that's a really good segue here. Look, it, it kind of depends. It's sad to say, but the status of the supply chain has kind of gotten political over the last few months. And politicians are kind of talking their own book, as it were. You know, I, I think you see a lot of conservative politicians maybe overhyping and overplaying uh, some of the difficulties. I think you see maybe some administration officials uh, trying to downplay uh, the seriousness of the supply chain issues, uh, trying to be maybe a little too optimistic, a little too rosy eyed. I think that's normal, um, you know, for politicians to do that, but it's not normal for them to be debating or quibbling over something like the supply chain, right? It's usually different political issues and, and things like that. Uh, also, different companies are, are sort of talking their own book. You know, if you're talking to a retail company or maybe a bank like JP Morgan last summer, uh, they're going to be talking their book, right? Banks want to paint a rosy picture for the economy. Uh, retailers want to say that you know, the supply chain issues are going to go away. You talk to the shipping companies, they're going to tell you that the, the situation's here to stay. So long, you know, winded intro and answer there. But I guess the, the point is it's all over the map and it's kind of a Rorschach test, uh, the way you look at the data. Uh, one of the things I look at the most is the congestion off of LA and Long Beach. And that's basically near all-time record highs. Uh, in just a couple of weeks ago, it printed an all-time record high, uh, even as politicians for months had been saying it was recovering. Um, so from my book and my angle, keep in mind, I'm a shipping investor. So a lot of my investments are into these shipping stocks, uh, but it looks like 2022 is going to be very, very difficult. Yeah. And last time, last time we spoke, you mentioned that the Lunar New Year, which we just entered, and the upcoming Olympics, which are on deck, might create continued pressure on supplies coming from China and that region. Is this still your concern? 
Yeah, I mean, it's something we see every year, uh, seasonality. In fact, right now, you know, we're recording this on February 3rd, we would expect, you know, congestion to be rapidly coming down. We would expect shipping rates to be crashing, uh, you know, maybe not precipitously, but we'd expect them to be down 30, 40, 50% from the, from the levels we saw last fall. And, you know, that's just not the case. In fact, shipping rates are actually up about 5 to 10% uh, between November and early February. That's just totally unprecedented, something we would not expect to see. So my concern as, I guess, a U.S. citizen, right, because I don't want things to get you know worse. My concern is that if these shipyards cannot clear the congestion during the all-time seasonal lulls, you know, post-holiday lull, then what are they going to do this summer when we start ramping back up for you know, the next holiday season? We could really be in trouble. And that actually concerns me. Um, as a shipping investor, right, I mean, we like to see higher rates. We like to see higher dollar signs. But at the same time, we, we, we don't want too much carnage, right? We, we want things to, to flow and, and we want things to improve. And, and I'm really concerned uh, that the fact that the congestion is not improving in February. I mean, if LA and Long Beach cannot figure the situation out in the next 60 days, uh, we're in some deep trouble uh, next fall. And, and one quick note I just want to make, I, I don't know if we have time to get into it too much, but there's a major labor union negotiation with the ILWU, which kicks in in June. Uh, the, their old contract extension runs out in June. And you know the, the labor union is sitting in a strong point because of so much focus politically on the supply chain and economically uh, if that labor union contract doesn't get negotiated smoothly and, and, and when's the last time right a labor union contract negotiation was smooth. Um, if that doesn't happen ahead of schedule, we're in deep trouble. Yeah, so I think a question that some people in our audience might have is why is there such a big focus in regards to only Long Beach and that little area of California, even though there's probably more ports up the West Coast? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. The main reason for that is LA and Long Beach is by far the largest port in the United States. Uh, in fact, it's the only United States port that cracks the global top 20. And it might surprise you, but the, the United States doesn't have a lot of the largest ports. Most of them are in Asia, Europe, and, and those locations. Um, so LA and Long Beach is actually two different ports, but they're close enough that they get combined all the time. Uh, when you combine them, they dwarf basically anything else that's happening in the United States. So that's why there's a lot of focus. Uh, the other reason there's a lot of focus is, is <laughs> they're in the biggest mess. Uh, they've had a terrible problem with congestion for almost a year straight. Um, and, and there's a lot of reasons behind that. Uh, they, they didn't modernize as much as some of the other ports did. Uh, it's also a more congested area. It's in an urban environment. Land is very expensive. Land is very limited. Uh, so they're unable to spread out and have you know storing yards and transloading facilities and things like that. Uh, some of the other ports like uh, on the East Coast, like Savannah, has have done a lot better. Uh, Savannah, Nashville, some of those other ports, or, or not Nashville, just Savannah and Charleston, sorry. Um, they've done a lot better. They've also spent a lot more money. They've also embraced automation. But even with all that, there's also congestion on the East Coast. It's just not quite so obscene as we see in LA Long Beach. Yeah, I got you. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, also, if I can ask you real quick um, in regards to, you know, oil tankers, because I think that is kind of a similar industry. Oil's going up. It, I think it hit $90 a barrel this week. Um, is that affecting this cargo ship and phenomenon of what's going on with boats and, and transporting goods and commodities as well? Um, so oil tankers rely on totally different ports and, and different locations. Um, and, and oil tankers have been a very difficult area for the last couple of years because you had OPEC, which restrained their capacity, their export capacity after COVID uh, hit. And at the same time, you had a global demand crush. 
So you have demand going down, you have the supply push of oil going down. Tankers have been a brutal space. I mean, it's been very difficult to be there as an investor or a trader. Uh, oil tankers also, like I mentioned, they go to specific ports that deal in oil and oil products, petroleum products, and we're not seeing those levels of congestion. One little area where there is a little bit of overlap is at the Panama Canal. Uh, there's been in increasing, it's getting worse, uh, increasing congestion at the Panama Canal over the last couple of weeks. And that's an area where all ship types of everything even cruise ships sometimes go through the Panama Canal. Uh, if you exclude the Panama Canal, uh, the congestion in tankers is not really that bad. Yeah, I got you. Makes sense. Okay, Jay, quick question for you. For everybody in our audience that's listening today, do you have a big idea for the year? Is there a company that you're like, this is the one to keep eyes on? Well, <laughs> you, you teed me up nicely there, uh, Daniel. Uh, look, last year, one of the companies I always talked about, it, it IPO'd a year ago, was Zem, Zem Integrated Shipping. I still have a long position in Zim, uh, but it's around $70 today. It IPO'd at 15. Uh, I've, I've been long it basically the entire time. I've been divesting a little bit of that. I'm still long, but I, I just want to frame that as a background. So that was kind of last year's play. It's still a decent one. I still kind of like it. Um, but one company I want to bring to folks' attention is Atlas Corp, A-T-C-O. And I have a long position there. I'm trading it as well. Um, that one is a long-term container ship contractor. So they own the container ship assets and they lease them to the shipping players. So they're kind of like offshoring the risk onto these other container ship liners. They're more of an asset play. They're more of the kind of uh, person who's in the background making a ton of money off the situation, but they're not getting all the fanfare. They're not getting all the attention. Uh, this stock has been flat for 11 months straight, even though their business value, in my opinion, their business value is more than tripled. Uh, so I think it's just going to be a matter of time. Maybe it's a couple of weeks, maybe it's a couple of months until the market wakes up and realizes that, oh, wow, this business value has tripled. Um, the stock's around uh, 15, a little bit more than $15 right now. Um, I think we could easily be over 20 by the summer. So that's probably my favorite trade right now. All right. We'll keep an eye on that before. We, and, and we'll have you on uh, sometime around the summer. We'll have to have you back on the show to see where that's at. And Absolutely. Hold my feet to call. the fire. And exactly. Exactly. Hey, Jay, I appreciate all your time and your insights that you've given to our audience today. Um, you have a great weekend. All right. Thanks, Daniel. All right, now I'd like to go ahead and introduce this new segment here that piggybacks off of Seeking Alpha's Catalyst Watch newsletter that comes out at the end of every week that highlights the big events that investors should watch for in the week ahead. So let's go ahead and bring Kim back in so that he can tell us more. Well, uh, our editor, Clark Schultz, who compiles this uh, you know, great compendium of, of market moving events coming up next week, sent me some, uh, uh, you know, a few of the highlights and uh, the top being the um, latest CPI numbers that are coming out. Um, everybody is focused on inflation, including the Fed. And um, on average, economists are looking for it to tick up again to about 7.3 percent. Um, as a headline number, which is which is again obviously huge um, in terms of inflation, and also this is a number that's very sensitive on the high end. So let's say a lot of economists just see that 7.3 or 7.2. If it gets to 7.5, 7.6, that's going to cause some jitters. Um, you know, about a 50 basis point hike in March from the Fed. But you know, in contrast, if it even came in well under like six and a half percent you wouldn't see any concerns because the Fed would just, everybody expects the Fed to just kite the quarter point no matter what, which they almost certainly will as the market's pricing in. Um, other other events coming up, we've got Uber's earnings and also a full investor day. Um, that stock's getting a lot more attention from Wall Street now that the economy's 
across the world are opening up. People are going out of their houses more. People are traveling more, and it's getting some some favorable commentary. And then, um, I guess on the flip side, you've got uh, earnings from Peloton, which you know just you know is is the ultimate stay at home play that's really struggling now. So it's down you know twenty five percent year to date, and just can't buy a break with publicity. You know, people having heart attacks on Pelotons and different shows. So we'll see you know exactly how they kind of. Um, what they try and guide with the with their forward looking guys, it's going to be tough. They're probably going to cut, but maybe they can placate you know investors and say like we've kind of bottomed here. And then um, we've also got um, Dutch Brothers. Um, you know the recent IPO last September. Their lockup period expires. All is a you know kind of market moving event when these IPO lockup periods end, and insiders can you know, sell their shares and see how that impacts the stock. Yeah, definitely some big things. I know uh, everybody's been talking about billions lately with the beginning of that and the Peloton bike. Um, so we'll have to see what happens with that next week. Thanks for bringing that to us, Kim. You have a great weekend, all right? Thanks. Uh, but that's all for us this week. Everyone, have a great weekend.